Hey guys, how we doing this morning? Did I ask you that like five seconds ago? Well, I mean it this time too. How are you guys doing? I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that this morning um, we can talk about Jesus. And um, I'm just happy. I don't know why. I had a good morning. I don't know about you guys, but I was up at 545 this morning getting amped for the day. Anyone get to sleep later than that? Go ahead, throw up your hands. I'm jealous. Anyone have to get up earlier than that? You're a girl, aren't you? No? You were up all night working. That doesn't count. I'll say if you're up earlier than me, it's probably because you're a girl on our team and you had to get up and also look pretty. I don't have to do that. I just roll out of bed and and get ready. I'm lucky that way. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this brand new year. It is. It's a brand new year, man, 2011, and that's really, really exciting. Um, At least it is for me. I hope that all of you had an awesome New Year's. I hope that the beginning of this year seems exciting to you as well, um, that it's not dreadful. I want to do this real quick. I want to take a quick survey. You guys, I need you to participate, and I need you to, um, because otherwise it's not fun. It's not fun if you don't participate. And it's going to be really hard. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand above your head if if you're in that that field that I'm going to say. But here's what I want to do. How many of you, by a raising of hands, say that you are relieved 2010 is over. Go ahead and raise your hands. Okay, cool, cool, go ahead. Now you can put those down. How many people here are then, it doesn't necessarily just mean the hand-raised crowds, but out of all of you, how many people are actually, you'd say, I'm excited for 2011. Go ahead and raise your hands. Okay, cool, awesome. Quick survey. I loved 2010. I realized that at the end of it, um, it was the best year of my life so far. Um, and, and it wasn't because necessarily um, a lot had happened for me personally. Some things great happened for me personally in 2010. But more than anything, I had seen God move in 2010 more than I have ever seen him move in the whole rest of my life. And it was innate, um, just amazingly exciting. Very, very exciting. But I'm very, very stoked about what 2011 will bring. I'm more excited for 2011 than I even was about 2010. I think that everything that 2010 had and everything that was good about it, I believe that 2011 will have and more. The only thing I'm not excited about is writing it because every single time I write the date, I write 10 and then scratch it off and put a one over top of it. Anybody write a check or anything like that recently? One, zero, darn it, one over top of it. They're going to have these weird zeros with lines through them for like the next six months at banks and stuff like that. But there's a feeling in the air at this time of the year, though, isn't there? There's something that's different. Like, you can almost feel something different in people's personalities. It's almost like that old stuff has gone, and, and something new has come, and there seems to be this, this, this strange air of excitement that maybe possibilities are open again. Many people want to forget about 2010. Some of you guys who did the whole relieved thing, you guys threw up your hands, and there's nothing wrong with that. But many people want to really forget about 2010. I don't know about you guys, but some of you, maybe 2010 wasn't the best year, or maybe just it wasn't the best year for for you personally, something that happened in your life. And what's interesting is then when people start talking about you or things like that, you say, well, that was all the way back in 2010, right? You almost want to close the book on it. Like, well, that chapter's done, it's filed away. And it's over. We're in 2011. People say, well, remember that time you did that really stupid thing? And you're like, it was 
all the way back in 2010. I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, it was December 30th, 2010. It's been two weeks ago. You're you're living in the past, man. It's 2010. We're in 2011. It's a brand new year. Get over it, right? Some people just want to kind of forget about that whole old 2010 and say, well, you know, that year is done, closed. I made my mistakes. I, I, I had my problems. I had my failures. 2011 is something brand new. But more than that, what's really interesting is that this time of year, very, very often, it brings about this, this air of self-reflection. The beginning of a new year, it, it brings about people questioning who they really are, who they've been in the last year, who they were in 2010, and then is that person who they want to be at the beginning of this next year? And a great number of people, they go into this age-old tradition called a New Year's Resolution. Tons of people do it every year. They decide, you know, in this next year, I don't want to be the same person I was in 2010. I want to be someone different. And they make these things called New Year's resolutions. Well, by definition, a resolution is a commitment that an individual makes to a personal goal, a project, or the reformation of a habit. I want to read for you guys the top 10, top 10, not not 10, 10, uh, New Year's resolutions of 2011, okay? Here they are. First, more time with friends and family. Two, making time for fitness. Three, losing weight. Four, to quit smoking. Five, to enjoy life more. Six, to quit drinking. Seven, to get out of debt. Eight, to learn something new. Nine, to help others. And 10, to get organized. I want to do another survey really quick, okay? If you guys will humor me for a second. I don't want to pry into your lives, and I don't want to air your dirty laundry in front of everybody, but this is a really simple one. If you guys have made a New Year's resolution this year that pretty much falls into one of those 10 categories, raise your hand. Okay. Now, if you say, you know, I've made New Year's resolutions and, and, you know, you don't have to, like, make some big, like, this is my New Year's resolution. But if you said, like, you know, at the beginning of this year, you're making a New Year's resolution, whether you call it that or not, right? Because you're being prompted by the beginning of this year. But even if you're doing something that, say, is outside of those 10, but you, you did form a New Year's resolution, go ahead and raise your hand real quick. Okay, so we have a few people, right? If you made a resolution, even one that isn't super, super heavy, do you think that you'll actually do it? I mean, really, let's, let's stop for a second. If you've made a New Year's resolution, or you, you've thought about it, maybe you haven't made it this, this rock-solid thing, but do you think, you know what? This is the year. I'm going to really go through with it. I'm going to really do it. Or are you already shaky about the possibilities of that resolution actually coming true? In a couple of surveys that were done in the recent years, revolving around New Year's resolutions, check this. of resolvers, those who make New Year's resolutions, were confident of their success when they were polled. However, only 12% actually succeeded in that New Year's resolution. In another poll, 78% of people failed to uphold their resolutions. Man, that is a harsh, a harsh dropout rate, isn't it? Almost 8 out of 10 people who formed their resolutions couldn't follow them through to completion. And I think probably some of you guys who still don't raise your hands actually do have some resolutions you've been making. You maybe been taking 
and make it something really solid. But maybe you've had that thought at the beginning of this year to say, hmm, what would I like to do different this year? You know, wh- what could I change about myself? Or maybe just something little where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing that this year. And you've had that thought about this, this, this feeling. But the problem I see is this, is that everyone believes that somehow magically between the date December 31st and January 1st, something's changed. People believe that somehow in this, in this time, in that one night in which a ball drops in New York and we all laugh and we all drink and if you have a loved one, you give them a kiss, they believe that that next day something has changed. But the problem is it hasn't. Nothing's changed. The beginning of a new year won't take away um, the temptations that are in your life. The beginning of a new year won't make you a new person. The beginning of a new year won't change your habits. The beginning of a new year won't take away all of your problems. It's not going to happen. And some would say, well, then why bother at all? Why bother with this whole New Year's resolution? It's, it's poppycock, right? It's malarkey. Aren't those great terms? I love those terms. But, but why bother at all? But that's not really the idea either. Because is it wrong for us to examine ourselves and say that you want better? Well, no, not at all. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's great, actually. Um, the Bible talks about verses like that. 2 Corinthians uh, 13.5. If you guys have uh, read there, you can, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I keep telling you guys every week, if you don't have a Bible, man, stop back there. You look on that table right there. There's literally a pile of Bibles, and they're for free. If you don't have one and you say, I'd like to just check one out, man, go ahead and take one home with you today. They're yours. You keep it. We'd love to give it to you because we really believe that it's powerful when you start actually looking at the Bible for yourself. But in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says this, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you've failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, I hope you'll recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. It talks about testing, supposing to to look at yourself and see whether or not the situation's right. And, and even the idea of applying yourself to do better. And that's a, that's a biblical principle. You can find that in uh, Philippians 3.12. There's this awesome one that says this. It says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess, to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. He talks about the fact that he hasn't reached perfection yet, but he's working at it. He's trying to strive to be better than what he has been in the past. So how can I actually make a difference this year? How can I not just make a bunch of empty goals and and fall into line with 8 out of 10 people that really by the middle of the year I forgot my resolutions? Not even I'm not keeping them anymore, but I forgot that I had even made them. The reality is, is that you don't need a resolution You need a real solution. And that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about this morning. Not the idea of of a resolution, but a real solution. And they're different. Here's what I want to share with you about this. A resolution, by definition, is trying to work hard and and trying to figure out a way for you to become better. In in other words, it's it's all about you. It's about working out this this plan and, and exercising and figuring out a way that you can become better. But see, a real solution, a real solution puts God in the center of that situation. A real solution includes God in your scenario. In whatever it is that you want to get better at, and whatever it is you'd like to stop or start, 
It includes God in that process. And when you put God at the center of it, it has the possibility of doing great things. The Bible is the best source of knowledge I've, I've ever found. Um, ever. <laughs> it's mind-blowing when you read it. The, the truths that are in it, whether or not you even believe yet, whether or not you've really decided that you believe in Jesus, if you read the Bible, you'll be blown away by how amazing the teachings are inside of it. And Romans 7 and 8 is this, is this really crazy story, kind of about like, um, like the duality of man, about like wanting better, but then not being able to achieve it, and then you hope for better, but then you can't get it. It's, it's such an interesting verse. It just kind of goes back and forth uh, as Paul talks about this. But in Romans 8, 4, it says this, and now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. And that's the verse I want you guys to really hold on to this morning as I, as I share this with you. The idea is that it's, it's not about redoubling our own efforts. That's what a resolution is all about. When you, when you look at a resolution, it's all about, I couldn't do it before, but I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to dig my heels in deeper. I'm going to hold on tighter. I'm going to, you know, shout louder, sing higher, share it with more people so I'm more embarrassed if I fail. And that's what all that resolution is about. It's about redoubling our own efforts. But see, a real solution is trusting God with that situation and letting him help us. The things that we failed to do, the things that we failed to change, they failed because of a lack of ability for us to do them. Why do you think that at the beginning of the year, these things you've always wanted to change, they haven't changed? What makes you think that just because of the beginning of the year, you've suddenly gained the strength to do these things? It's not the truth. If we could have solved them, we would have solved them, right? If we could have changed them, we probably would have changed them instead of waiting till the beginning of a new year. Maybe not. Maybe because you kind of enjoy them, right? I don't know if you guys ever watch The Office or not. There's this girl called Meredith, and she's um, an alcoholic. And they ask her where she wants to be in one year. And she says, I want to be one year sober. And she says, well, nine months sober. <laughs> Maybe because you want to kind of hold on to that for a little bit. But if you could fix it, you'd probably fix it. But that's the problem as we start it. If we don't include God in these circumstances, it's really, really hard for anything to change. We need to inject God into the very center of the things that we want to change. We need to invite him to be able to help us, to give us courage and strength and power to be able to do these things, and then they can. In that poll that I read you earlier about the, um, the people with their, their resolutions dealing with 78% failing and all these things, which is such a bleak number, but there, there's some light. In the same poll, it says that men are 22% more likely to succeed at a resolution if they make measurable goals. So if you just say, you know what, I want to, I don't know, get a new job, right? That's a really hard task to get to. But if you said, I'm going to, you know, start looking for jobs in the want ads, I'm going to write up my resume, and you start laying out goals, you're 22% more likely as a man to be able to succeed at that goal. It's pretty cool. As a woman, you're 10% more likely to succeed at your resolution if you share that goal with other girlfriends, if there's people to help keep you accountable. And I guess if you'd be a little embarrassed to let it slide, you're 10% more likely to succeed if you share it. But I want to say this morning that men and women who instead of 
putting their energy into a resolution instead put their energy into a real solution, putting God at the center of these goals, are 100% more likely than those who don't to succeed. Twice as much. And also I've heard that about 67.5% of all percentages are completely made up. Because I have no biblical backing to say that you're 100% more, more likely to succeed. I, don't, I can't say that because I've read it somewhere. I'm just saying, I believe the fact that if you put God in a situation, you're far and above more likely to succeed. I can't guarantee you 100%. Don't come back and try to sue me saying that I, was, I promised you, you're, too, you know, you're twice as likely. What I'm saying is, is you're far more likely to be able to succeed when you put God at the center of those circumstances. Probably to say 100% is actually a gross underestimation. It's probably a slap in the face to God, and God, I apologize for saying that, that they're only twice as likely, because probably it's, it's, it's far more when you actually let God into your life to change stuff. But if you're like me, you would probably think this. Even though I share all these, these great points about letting God in, you'd probably think this, will God really help me? Because that's what I would think. That's great. That's a really cool idea about letting God in. But will God really help me? I mean, is it wrong to think that? No, you're not wrong to think that this morning. I mean, is it, does it mean that you don't have any faith and that you, you, you don't believe? Well, no, that's not the case at all. It doesn't mean that you don't have any faith. Are you a bad person for questioning God and saying, God, would you really help? No, you're not a bad person for thinking those things. But in Luke, uh, in, in 11, 5 through 13, there's this really cool story. And I want to share it with you because I think it gives us uh, just a really interesting picture of God. And uh, I'll read it to you. If you guys have it, you can read with me. Otherwise, you can trust me. Don't worry. I won't lead you astray, okay? Luke 11, 5 through 13. Listen to the story and kind of, Picture it, because when we put ourselves in the Bible, I think we get more out of it. Don't just hear it as a story, but go ahead and imagine it, and then it becomes more, um, more groundbreaking. It says, then teaching them more about prayer, this is Jesus who was teaching, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. He says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. He says this, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if, you ask, if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, a cool story all about prayer. Jesus is trying to teach these men, and he talks about this persistence in in just knocking on God's door and saying, God, you know, please, and, and, and asking God over and over, and that God really will come through. What's often mistaken about this, this verse is people will read this, and then they'll misuse it by reading the end of it where it says, if you ask and you, you seek and you knock, it'll be open. And what some people will try to preach from this is then that whatever you ask for, if you ask for it long enough, God's going to give it to you. And, and that's not the case. 
really, if you read it, because you're supposed to read more around it, what he's talking about is giving the Holy Spirit. He says that if you ask and seek and knock and you ask for the Holy Spirit, he says that he'll give it to you. But that's not the point I want to pull from this. What I want you to do is, is when we read stories like this, we can read literally just what it says, which is, which is really good, really helpful. But also we can see the picture God's trying to paint out of it. And at the end of it, we see this picture, the story of a father. And what he says is, you people who are sinful, who are fathers, know how to treat your kids. How much more then do I know how to treat my kids? What we can take from the story when we look at it is that God is a terrific father, a better father than any of us could ever be, and that whole like father role that he is like the super dad. I mean, he is the best father anyone could have. That's what I want you to get from the story, and I want you to hold on to that for a second, okay? Keep that in your mind, and then I want to read you another little uh, section here. Back in Romans 8, where we were just reading a little bit ago about not redoubling our efforts, but instead trusting upon what the Spirit can do in our lives. A little bit later at uh, Romans 8, 14 through 17, it says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if you are to share in his glory, you must also share in his suffering. Okay, so what was the first thing I I shared with you? The first section says that God is an amazing father. And that second section, when you look at it, it says that if we believe in Jesus and that if we live by the spirit, it says that we are his adopted sons and daughters. What happens is when you pair those two together, you see the fact that we have an amazing father. If we claim Jesus, we are his adopted sons and daughters. We see the fact that then we have this amazing dad to help us out in situations. I'll tell you a story. This last year, I bought a house, okay, back in March, so it's been almost a year now. And I purchased this house, which is, is awesome. Anyone, homeowners in the, in the audience, homeowners, awesome, right? Also a ton of work, right? Always something that you have to do. I bought this house, and I, I absolutely love it. But come fall time, the drains in my basement backed up, which is just a terrific, it's a joy when you wake up in the morning and your basement smells absolutely terrible. Well, on top of that, being insanely busy, that means you might not get around to it for a couple of days. What it basically meant was that I had an inch of black water in my basement, and it was terrible. I mean, the, the smell was horrific. The whole house, oh, my God. I, I, was, I was just like, Wouldn't, didn't want to go down to my kitchen, which is where the door to the basement goes to, which don't make food in a kitchen that smells that bad. It's terrible. You can't even enjoy it. But... I decide that I'm going to uh, snake this drain. I borrow this big thing because in Troy Grove, the old, ch- uh, the old uh, houses we have, they go to field tiles, actually, like basement drains. They're not to like a septic tank. They run out to field tiles. So I borrow this, this, um, this device, basically. It's this big spool of wire uh, or a band, and it's got a, an end on it, and you have to jam it all the way back up into this uh, tile, all the way back up to your house. Well, my life is really pretty hectic. Like, I work in 8 to 5, and then I'll come home, and then I'll work on stuff for our church all night, and 
My days are very, very long, and I keep kind of strange hours. I'll get up early, <coughs> excuse me, early to read. I'll stay up late to read more, so my hours are kind of messed up. So one night after being out, I forget what I was doing, some meeting, I come home, and I think it was about 9, 9.30 at night, pitch dark, I decide I'm going to snake that field tile right now. Dark out, late out, cold out. So what do I do? Well, like any man, I call my dad. <laughs> I say, Dad, what are, you, um, <clears throat> what are you doing right now? I think he's in his, in his hot, like sleeping pants, and he's just sitting watching TV or something like, would you like to come over to my house for a minute? Because I'm going to snake that tile right now. Well, that's not really the best time, not really the best place, and obviously pretty mean that I'm just calling him to come and help me. But guess what? He showed up. He put on his clothes, put on a heavy coat, grabbed a flashlight, went out there, and helped me snake this tile to see if I could get it gone. What I mean to say is that a good dad, a good dad shows up for you even when the situation stinks. That's funny, right? <laughs> even when it stinks, even when it's not fun, a good dad shows up for you. Even when the timing's wrong, man, even when the situation isn't fun, even when it's, it's uncomfortable, man, a good dad steps out of his comfort zone and he comes and he helps. And what I mean to say is that God really is that good father. And that if we ask him to help in situations, he is a good dad who shows up and he helps, whether it is stinky or not. This year at the beginning of 2011, I think it's an awesome time for us to look back and then for us to look forward and say, do I really want to be the same person I was in the future? Do I want to be someone different? Is there something I can change? Examining our lives and seeing if we can do better is a great idea. I think it's a terrific way for us to decide who we really want to be. Excuse me. But what I invite you to do this year is to drop the resolution. What I invite you to do this year is you guys who maybe have made them or you guys who are still thinking about making them, because if you're a procrastinator, you probably won't get around to making your resolution until February, right? (laughs) I'll get to it. I'll make that resolution. But I invite you this year to drop the resolution and instead apply a real solution to your life. Whatever those things are that you say, I don't want to be anymore. Whatever the things are that you say, I wish I could do this better. I wish I could move forward in this. I wish I could change this. Instead of deciding to redouble your own efforts, instead, asking God to step in that situation. Trusting him as a good father that he'll show up and he'll help. And then trusting the spirit to really help you through it. And I really do believe you'd be more than 100% more likely to achieve these things. The prerequisite, of course, though, is this. You have to belong to Jesus. That's the truth, is when you look at this verse, is it says that those who are led by the Spirit, that he is their adopted, their, their adopted sons of God. So if you're not led by the Spirit, you're, you're not a child of God. That's what it's saying, is that you don't really belong. You haven't been adopted into that family yet. And I want to share with you the fact that when it comes to your, your faith and it comes, to, it comes to who we are, so many people get so caught up in, in all these small details, in all these small things about, about what it means, about what I have to do. But the reality is, is it comes back to 
such a, a basic and simple truth. And really, it applies the exact same way of what we've been talking about, a real solution. Most people think that you need to resolve something in order to be a Christian. In order to be with Jesus, obviously what I have to do is I have to change a bunch of these things, I have to stop doing this, I have to redouble my efforts, and I have to try harder, and then obviously I'll be a Christian. But that's not the situation at all. The message of salvation is a real solution message. And it says that it's not ever about what we've done, because trust me, I haven't done enough, you haven't done enough. It says in the Bible that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It means that us who, who don't do everything that God called us to do, man, we've sinned. Every one of us have fallen short of what God's glory is. And it says that it doesn't matter how good you are, how much you do, how much you resolve, how much you change, how much you better yourself. You can't earn this salvation. If you keep coming at God with the idea of what can I do to earn it, you're never going to get it. But it says that instead, if you come at it from the direction of a real solution and you say, God, I can't figure it out on my own. I can't figure out this sin thing on my own. I can't figure out this this heart problem on my own where I'd like to be better, but I keep going back to the same old stuff. When you let Jesus come in as a real solution, that's when the situation changes. And there's a story. I don't know if you guys have heard it or not, but it's awesome. Jesus came to this earth, was born in human form. He lived about 33 years, right? Came, grew up, he preached, he taught, he healed people, he did miraculous things. You read the story of his life, and it's it's mind-blowing, the things that he accomplished. And it says that he died on the cross. Well, the amazing thing is, is you remember that verse I just shared about, about salvation, the wages of sin is death. He had never, ever sinned. So it says that when he went to the cross, the sin weight that he carried was yours and mine. The only way he could die was to take somebody else's sin to the cross. And since it was God, he carried all of our sin to the cross instead. And what's crazy is there's a story that as he's hanging on the cross, these two men on his left and right are there, and one of them's a thief, and he yells over to Jesus, and he says, I really do believe you're the son of God. And he says, will you remember me? Will you remember me when you die and pass on in the next life? And Jesus turns to him, and he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. What I love about that verse is it strips it all down to just the basic, raw truth, doesn't it? This man didn't have time to change everything about his life. He didn't have time to get baptized and go through a course. He didn't have time to do all of that. All he simply did was trust his life to Jesus and say, I believe that you're the son of God. And when you go to heaven, will you remember me? And I believe that salvation is just that simple because Jesus promised that man that he was going to be in heaven. It's one of the only people we ever see in the Bible in which we know that man actually made it to heaven. We don't assume Jesus said he went to heaven. And it was just that simple. So when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our interpretation of God, when it comes to our own sin weight, don't bother trying to make a resolution on that either. It's about finding a real solution, and that real solution is Jesus Christ. And it says in the Bible, if we ask him into our hearts, basically by saying, Jesus, that we believe that you're the Son of God, and I want to make you the Lord of my life to change me and make me new. I believe that you paid for my sin, that then we can be saved. When you experience salvation, what will happen next is something that's really miraculous. You'll start to actually have faith. 
Because people think that you have to have it all figured out in order to ask for salvation, but you don't. If you wait until you have it all figured out, you'll never figure it out. It's like having kids. If you wait until you think you're ready for kids, guess when you'll have kids? Never. You'll never have kids because you're not ready. Same thing with salvation. There's always that question. There's always that nagging thought. It's going to be there. It's going to be there. But if you trust Jesus Christ and you take that step of faith, what happens next is you begin to have faith. By believing, you begin to see faith on the other side of it. And it says in, in, in Romans 10, 7, it says that we gain that faith by hearing. And what it means is, is you give your life to Christ and you start coming places like this or other places like this where you begin to hear God's word and you hear truth and that faith begins to be growing inside of your heart and it becomes stronger. You spend time with friends like we do in life groups where you just talk about God's word and that faith begins to get deeper and stronger. When you have those things, you'll be led by the Spirit, and you really, truly will be adopted as sons and daughters of, of Christ. I'm saying this morning, what I, what I want to invite you guys to do is, first and foremost, you guys who, who know Jesus Christ, I invite you this morning to drop the resolution and start a real solution. But those of you who don't, those of you who say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, what I invite you today to do is to decide on the ultimate real solution, which is Jesus. And what I want, you, want to invite you to do is, after I finish here and pray, um, what we're going to do is we'll play some music and people will leave. But what's really, really easy is I'm just going to stay up here and all you got to do is come up to me and say, listen, I want to know about that real solution, Jesus. I'd love to talk with you about it for a few minutes. I'd love to explain it. I'd love to pray, pray with you about it. And this morning, if you make that decision, you'll be adopted as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. And what will happen is God can make those real solutions happen in your life. I want to invite you guys back for the next three weeks. We're going to continue to talk about the real solution. Next week, we're talking about finances. Week after that, family. Week after that, future. And we're going to talk about how Jesus really provides the real solution for every single one of those situations. I want to invite you guys back. I want to pray, and then we'll go ahead and dismiss. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. I thank you for this time that we can be together. And I pray to you, God, that um, this next year, Lord, we wouldn't redouble our own efforts, but instead we would trust you with the situations in our life. God, that I know that you are a good father and that you want to help us out in these areas. All that remains is for us to drop the, the pretenses of coming at it as strong as we can and instead of letting you be applied to these situations in our life. Pray to you also, Lord, for those this morning who do not know you, Jesus Christ. I pray to you that you would, you would let them realize today is the day that they can decide to let you into their heart. I pray to you, God, that you would just give them strength and courage because it's a scary step to make. And Lord, I pray to you that you would remind them this time. If, if, if you're in the audience right now, something that I'll share with you guys very often happens is if you feel like it's you, but there's uneasiness, that probably means because it's you. And God, I pray to you that you would take and you would, you would give that uneasiness, not out of discomfort, but God, a reminder that yes, this morning, you need to take that step. You need to take that step forward to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I want you as my real solution. I thank you so much for this morning, Jesus Christ, and I pray that you bless all these people as they head out in this next week. I pray to you, Lord God, that you would just keep them safe and bring them back here next week. In your name I pray, Jesus.